unremovable or irremovable or non-removable. English is... Hello and welcome to part two of our protection uh, series. This one is going to be covering Hexproof and Ward, some of the newer ones to play. And uh, I say we just get right into it. As always, I'm Chris and I'm joined by my friend Joe. Say hi. Hello everybody, this is level one judge <laughs> Joe coming to you from north central Ohio. <laughs> Alright, so... Joe, any decks you've been working on? Yes, Modern Horizons 2 recently came out. I was fortunate enough to pull Grist the Hunger Tide, the new Planeswalker that is also a 1-1 insect creature and so can be your commander and functions as a creature everywhere except the battlefield. It's really cool. Anyway, so I had an idea for using him, of course, as a commander. Decided to we're gonna we're gonna make a deck where we're gonna throw a bunch of little insect creatures into our graveyard, and then we're gonna end up drawing a card that will hopefully put them back on top of the library. Use Grist plus one ability to mill a card, create a one-one insect creature token to use as a blocker. But every time you mill an insect creature token, you repeat the ability and add a loyalty counter. So you continue to mill all those insects off the top of your library, put a bunch of loyalty counters on Grist, you have to wait one turn, but at your next turn, you'll hopefully have like at least 15 to 20 creatures in your graveyard. You use Grist's ultimate ability, where you just pull five loyalty off, which again, no big deal, because Grist is going to hopefully have about 20 loyalty at this point anyway. Pull five loyalty off of Grist, each opponent loses life equal to the number of creatures in your graveyard. So I'm hoping that this is the one time like I need to use the Planeswalker's ultimate ability in order to make it work. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know how fantastic it's going to be. It's it's going to be very much, I think, a glass cannon. But when it works, I, mean, I think it'll work. I mean, we all build glass cannons or one-trick ponies, at, you know, at some point, just because we sh we sh see a really funny idea or a mechanic we just want to kind of play around with, and then we try it out, we have fun, and then someone wheels your hand away whenever you have everything left and uh, everything you need, and all you are stuck doing is drawing lands. Yeah, but we'll see. And you know, it's nice because a lot of the bug creatures that I need are very cheap, as in monetarily cheap cards. So. You know, you're not investing a lot of money into something like this to try it out and see how it works. Are so. you are you going to be putting Scoot Swarm in there? Already in the list. Yes! Scoot Swarm and Scoot Mob. Ooh. Both of them are going to be... Uh, there aren't as many insects as you might think that would actually work for this deck. So you're very limited on creatures that you can actually choose. Anyway, Chris, I know with everything starting up with uh, Friday Night Magic again, you have been diligently trying to brew a standard deck. Have you had any success? So I have, and it's taken me a lot to get out of brewing for... Com to switch over from brewing for commander to brewing for standard just because of the limited card pool and having remembering that I can have like hybrid cards in a single color deck and having multiple and having up to four copies of it so I actually decided to go kind of back to my roots just to kind of because it's been a year since we've been able yeah. to play in person 
And so it's kind of like a homecoming, going back to your roots and everything. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to go back to my roots. Something that I'm very comfortable with. Red deck wins. I mean, you can't go red with mono red, red aggro. And I broke down and bought the challenger deck and then just used that as the base for it mm -hmm. to tweak as I want. And then kind of tuned it a little bit. It's always finding the sideboard cards. Yeah. Figuring out sideboard is always hard for me. Um, well, and it's a shame you know you're putting all this work into this the standard deck right now, and you know as of this recording, <laughs> rotation is going to happen in a couple months, and I know all those Eldraine cards that are in there right now. And let's be honest, you you've got a couple Eldraine cards, in the there, only, at least a couple. The only Eldraine cards that I have in there is I think I have two Fabled Passages. Okay. Maybe I might have taken those out. I have a Embercleave in it. All right. But for the most part, most of it is... N oh, wait. Sorry. I also have four Bone Crushers. And some Rimrock Knights, but... So only, you know, like, about 15 cards, maybe. 10. 10. Well, was, well yeah, pretty much half the deck. So, I, yeah. I, I just forgot about <laughs> that. I, I just forgot that I threw in Torbrands as well. So yeah, so uh, it, it'll be a wonderful deck for a couple months, and then you'll have to go and make a bunch of changes. But it'll be okay. But That's the fun of Standard. Yes, and it'll no longer be everyone playing Eldrain. Yes, oh my word, I can't wait. <laughs> and with that, let's move into our words to live by for this episode. Chris, start us off. Alright, so the first one is Summoning Sickness. Uh, summoning Sickness is terminology that identifies a creature who has come under control of its current controller after the beginning of the most recent turn. A creature with Summoning Sickness can't attack or activate abilities that require it to tap. This comes back to the old days when Magic first started and you were, sum you were in the eyes of the game, literally summoning a creature to the battlefield. In fact, a lot of the old cards will say summon creature type mm -hmm. and it's not you know creature dash creature type it's summon i think i also have one of my uh ren and sari deck that's a, uh like mirren and it says summon cat and yes is let and this card counts as legend as legend yeah so i was like so this harkens back to the early days of magic where it's you're literally summoning it to the battlefield now over time terminology terminology on the cards have changed They've gotten rid of the whole summon creature and just went to the creature type. Um, but summoning sickness still is in the game. And it and it's something that you have to be very mindful of, especially if you have act, if you have abilities that require tapping. Yeah. Um, so you, stuff like that. But summoning sickness does not hinder or preclude uh, just straight activated abilities, which require paying just mana or even if it has a sacrifice as long as you don't have to tap it you can still use it yeah. even though it has summoning sickness so that's just something you want to be mindful of for whenever you're playing magic creatures are going to have summoning sickness unless they have haste and again you're not going to see the terminology summoning sickness in the comprehensive rules this is something that you know players developed over time and it is just common terminology so know what it means, but you will not see that word actually 
in the comprehensive rules. Our other word is legend rule. Again, this is another word you'll see it, I think, quoted in the comprehensive rules, but it's not given its straight its own rule by this name. The legend rule is a rule that triggers when the game state features two or more legendary permanents of the same name under the control of a single player. The player controlling said legendary permanents must put all but one of them into their owner's graveyards. Now, this is a specific situation that actually gets into the idea of you summoning different creatures. You are able to summon legends onto your team to fight for you, but the idea that you would summon two of the same legend is the, sort of like the meta idea that it would break the game, um, or not break the game, it would, it would break the mind of that creature to see another one of them on the battlefield. Uh, plus, typically legends tend to be pretty, pretty massive and pretty big, you know, pretty important uh, with good abilities. So you don't want to have that much uh, power focused and concentrated on one side of the board. Now, there are cards that actually do reference the legend rule. One in particular is Mirror Gallery from Betrayers of Kamigawa. It is an artifact that costs five colorless, and it actually says the legend rule doesn't apply. Sakashima of a Thousand Faces from Commander Legends. Uh, it, is, it is three colorless and a blue, legendary creature, human rogue, a 3-1, and part of its text, the legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control. And again, legend rule is more or less quoted in the rules, but you're not going to see a specific rule that is titled legend rule. Here's what it is. But again, these are both slang terms that are used quite frequently in the game, and you need to know about them when you sit down to play. We're going to move into our main focus of the show, and like part one... We are discussing two keyword abilities today. We're going to start by discussing Hexproof, and then we will discuss Ward. Chris, start us off with the history of Hexproof. As many keyword abilities, uh, Hexproof saw use as far back as Portal 3 Kingdoms, but it wasn't keyworded. It was given its own keyword, not in Future Sight, but in Core Set 2012. Um, variants of Hexproof have spawned from the original idea, such as uh, Hexproof from Black, um, Hexproof from Artifacts. Mm -hmm. um, so different variations, very similar to how Protection is. Yeah. Um, cards sometimes granted Hexproof to other permanents or provided Hexproof once a certain condition was met. It's used sporadically in many sets to present day and probably into the future i'm actually going to take the rules for hexproof i say that as i forget that there is a lot of rules <laughs> uh, all right so let's go through this so hexproof from the comprehensive rules 702.11 a hexproof is a static ability 11b hexproof on a permanent means this permanent can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponent control 11C. Hexproof on a player means you can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control. 11D. Hexproof from quality is a variant of hexproof ability. Hexproof from quality on a permanent means this permanent can't be the target of quality spells your opponents control or abilities your opponents control from quality sources. A hexproof from quality ability is a 
hexproof ability. And 11E. Any effect that causes an object to lose hexproof will cause the object to lose all hexproof from quality abilities. Any effect that allows a player to choose a creature with hexproof as a target as though it didn't have hexproof will allow a player to choose a creature with a hexproof from quality ability. Any effect that looks for a card with hexproof will find a card with hexproof from quality ability. 11F. Hexproof from quality A and from quality B is shorthand for hexproof from quality A and hexproof from quality B. It behaves as two separate hexproof abilities. If an effect causes an object with such an ability to lose hexproof from quality A, for example, the that object will still have hexproof from quality B. 11G. Multiple instances of the same hexproof ability on the same permanent or player are redundant. Hey, so that was rules. the last one. <laughs> so a lot of rules here, um, but you know they're very simple to understand. And really, when you get down to it, the 11B and 11C are the most important ones. Where you, know, you can't, the, the permanent can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control, differing it from Shroud significantly. Yes. Uh, and that's that's one of the main keys of Hexproof and why Hexproof has its own keyword ability and isn't just a variant on Shroud. Some of our featured cards. Featured cards. Chris, you're going to take this too. You have all of our featured cards pulled up. Alrighty. Yes, I do. So the first one we're going to cover is from Eventide, and it's Slippery Boggle. Uh, it costs a hybrid green-blue. It's a 1-1 creature beast with hexproof. The reason why we chose this one as a featured card is because the Boggle cards, that there is now a archetype that is simply referred to as Boggles. I came in in Alara, and the Shadowmoor block was like Eventide, Shadowmoor, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. That was right before I got in there, so it was so it was still kind of in rotation whenever mm -hmm. I start, was playing back in Standard 2. Alright, so the second one that we're going to be featuring is from War of the Spark, and it's Paradise Druid. It costs one and a green for a creature elf druid that's a 2-1. And its, it's hexproof ability is Paradise Druid has hexproof as long as it's untapped. And then it has a secondary ability that you can tap it to add one mana of any color. So this one is a uh, the situational um, uh, hexproof, where it will either gain it or lose it depending on the situation. Then the next one is going to be Invisible Stalker from Innistrad, and it was also in uh, Zendikar Command, Zendikar Rising Commander. Um, Invisible Stalker is a creature human rogue for one and a blue. It's a 1-1, one, one, and it has hexproof, and Invisible Stalker can't be blocked. Uh, before this episode, we were actually discussing, and I think Invisible Stalker, whenever it was uh, standard legal, it was actually very dominant because, of, because it was cheap, but also hard to get rid of, and can't be blocked. And see, I, I think, I, I think I remember hearing stories about the Invisible Stalker. I don't know for sure, but regardless, it's still a quality card. Hexproof and can't be blocked. 
for such a cheap cost. I mean, even getting one in every turn is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. I was just make pounds, and whenever you're... If you only have that, and they have a bunch of creatures, and yeah, and you can just ke- kind of keep holding them off while you're just pinging them one or two a turn, Yeah, you're definitely going to make... Eventually, win by attrition. Alrighty, and... So, the next one is not a creature. Well, the next two are not creatures. The first one that we're going to talk about is from either Revolt, and that's Heroic Intervention. It's a instant for one in a green, and it ha- and it says, Permanence you control, gain hexproof, and, and indestructible until end of turn. Um, This one I know is just pretty much a mono green staple. Yeah. Just because... You, you aren't really looking for the hex proof. I mean, it is nice. It's very situational when you use it. But the reason why everyone has it is because it's two mana to give everything you control. Lands, creatures, artifacts, enchantments. Every permanent you control, indestructible. Which is very, very yeah. nice. The hex proof is just added bonus at that point. Yeah, it's just icing on the cake. But again, it's that, it's that opportunity that when necessary, all immediately, all of your creatures, all your permanents in this case... Hexproof. Done. Yeah. And the last one we're going to talk about is actually one of my favorites. And it's Leyline of Sanctity. And it was, uh, it debuted in Magic 11, right? Before it was actually keyworded as Hexproof. Yeah. So, so it, it debuted in Magic t- Corset 2011. It's Leyline of Sanctity for two white, white. It's an enchantment. And it says, uh, if Leyline of Sanctity is in your opening hand, you may begin the game with it on the battlefield. And then it has, you have Hexproof. So it gives you as a player Hexproof, so you can't be targeted by... You can't have spells, uh, instant sorceries of that, you know, of that against you. Alright, so that takes us through the featured cards. Now, for the dominant colors... This is going to be primarily green and blue, um, but there are several multicolored cards that have it, and a few black and white, but zero mono red cards. Yep, mono red is not getting hexproof. And then featured decks, just like protection and shroud. There's no featured decks. It's just a benefit to the card. Yep. Now, because there's no featured decks for hexproof. There is still ways that you can still play with the ability and against the ability. So if you're playing with Hexproof, uh, the creature can't be targeted with, by your opponent. Um, so you can be aggressive without being without fear of targeted removal. Or even make sure if it has other added abilities, you can use those added abilities mm-hmm. without fear of targeted removal. Yes. Um, Hexproof can be granted temporarily, like we like discussed with heroic intervention, and you can use that as an emergency to save a creature. Uh, also, hexproof can be given to yourself. Usually, the method to uh, to accomplish this requires less common removal methods for the um, opponent, which means uh, planeswalker or enchantment removal. Um, but like uh, protection and shroud. Um, you want to be very mind. You don't have to worry about targeted mm-hmm. ab- spells and abilities, so targeted removal. Uh, you still want to worry about 
global effects. Yeah. So that is where, um, that's one thing that you want to be mindful of uh, when you're playing against it. Another thing to be mindful of is uh, um, Hexproof can be granted through a combat trick. And sometimes you can play uh, into this to force your opponent to use a combat trick at a less than optimal time. Um, and keep and if you're playing against it, keep as many removal options in your deck as practical based on the format. Um, enchantment removal is going to be your um, you're going to want that as your primary um, removal because uh, enchantment removal is the primary removal because enchantments are typically harder to deal with than artifacts and creatures. Yeah. Well, and, and enchantment removal is one of those, like, you, know, you always need creature removal, but if you can throw in some enchantment removal, especially based off of the format or the set in which you're playing, you know, we, we being commander players, we have greatly discovered the importance of enchantment removal because it's just much harder to deal with. So if you can keep a couple of those in there, um, that, you know, giving a player hexproof with Leyline... Now you have a way to remove that enchantment, which gets rid of hexproof off of the player and everything. So very important. All right, and again, like hex, like uh, protection and shroud uses in different formats. Again, it's not really used; it's just an added benefit. Um, if it's on, if it's on something that's good. It's just icing on the cake. Yeah. It's not there because it has hexproof. It's there because it has something good. All right. So that's my spiel on hexproof. Joe, you get to take it away with ward. Right. Ward. Ward is the newest keyword ability, and it's actually the entire reason that we did these series of two podcasts regarding different styles of keyword protection. Ward was introduced in Strixhaven, but even though it was introduced as a keyword ability in Strixhaven, it's actually been tested on other cards for a couple of sets now prior to Strixhaven. One of the greatest examples is actually the card Terror of the Peaks. Terror of the Peaks has the Ward ability, more or less, without it actually being keyworded as Ward. So you can see that they're trying this out, they're experimenting, they're playtesting in actual sets before they decide to go ahead and dedicate a keyword to it. The rules for Ward are really rather simple. Ward is 702.21a. Ward is a triggered ability. Ward cost means whenever this permanent becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless that player pays cost. Now it's important to note here, Ward is a triggered ability. It is not a static ability like Shroud, Hexproof, and Protection. Ward actually doesn't do anything until the creature has been targeted. So you are, you are allowed to target the creature, but you have to pay the cost. This also means because Ward is a triggered ability, you can counter the trigger. So if you have a stifle-like effect in your hand, I think disallow is another one that basically does the same thing. I think there's like three of them. Yeah, but there, there, there's a couple. But a, hand, is... a handful of cards. But stifle is the, the, like the poster child of the, this. The OG. Yeah. 
you can actually counter the ward trigger to get around ward. Now, whether you want to do that or not is your your call. Most people would probably just pay the extra cost, but it, it is it is possible. You can do that. And because it's a triggered ability, it can also be targeted by Strionic Resonator. So you pay two, tap Strionic Resonator, and you can copy targeted uh, tar- you can copy target triggered ability. Yes, yes, you can. Our featured cards with Ward. There aren't too many of them. Wizards really did take a, a light touch when it came to implementing this new keyword. So we only have a handful that we're going to discuss. Majority of them are from Strixhaven, and the one, the other one is from the Commander set that released with Strixhaven. So the first is Owlin Shield Mage. Owlin Shield Mage is a 3-3 creature, a bird warlock. It costs three colorless, a white and a black. It has flying and ward, pay three life. So the ward cost would be the, uh, the opponent having to actually pay three life for the, the spell to go through. The next is Sedgemore Witch. It is a 3-2 creature, human warlock, that costs two colorless and a black. It has menace, magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, create a 1-1 black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain one life. And ward, pay three life. And again, same idea. The opponent will have to pay three life in order to have a spell actually target Sedgemore Witch. Or, excuse me, have it uh, go through and resolve instead of being countered. Our next one is Torrent Sculptor. Torrent Sculptor is a 2-2 merfolk wizard creature. It costs two colorless, blue, blue. It has, when Torrent Sculptor enters the battlefield, exile an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Put a number of plus one, plus one counters on Torrent Sculptor equal to half that card's mana value rounded up. And then this one has Ward 2 Colorless, meaning that whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter it unless that player pays an additional 2 Colorless mana. Our next one is Waterfall Aerialist. It is a 3-1 Jin Wizard creature that costs three colorless and a blue. It has flying and ward two. So again, uh, we're, we're looking here at a lot of creatures that are not overly powerful. Some of them have some decent abilities. Sedgemore Witch is one in particular. Uh, that Magecraft ability has made it rather popular. But it's really just an added level of protection that makes the creature a little bit more difficult to interact with rather than actually making it impossible to remove. The last creature we're going to discuss is Adrix and Nev Twincasters. It is a 2-2 legendary creature, Merfolk Wizard. It costs two colorless, a green, and a blue. It has, if one or more tokens would be created under your control, twice that many of those tokens are created instead. And then Ward 2. And again, Adrix and Nev, this card is one in particular that I know a lot of people are excited to have because of its, its token ability more than anything else. And that Ward 2, again, just makes it a little bit more difficult to, to destroy or eliminate, remove from the battlefield. 
and makes it so its controller can make that to those tokens a little bit more easier. It's important to note, Ward here does not make the creature completely unremovable or irremovable or non-removable. English is... Anyway, uh, Ward just makes it so you have to pay a little bit extra to get rid of the creature. And, and that's, that's an important note that we'll discuss here in a little bit. The dominant colors for Ward, right now, uh, it, it's kind of balanced, kind of balanced between the colors. There aren't any in red yet, uh, which again goes along the lines of Hexproof and Shroud, where red just doesn't really have a lot of that in its color pie idea. Um, but from information I've heard, like you know, rumors from Watsi and everything, Ward is probably going to stick around and it will appear in all colors at some point, but the payment that you're going to have to make will be appropriate based off of the, the, the philosophy of that portion of the color pie. So right now, you, know, you notice with blue and green, you have to pay additional mana, whereas with white and black, you have to pay additional life. I don't know what they'll do with red, if they'll even give red ward, but that's the... Uh, you're hearing my cat have a wonderful time with a bottle cap in the background right now. Um, so that would be Hobbs, and yes, that, that would be the first instance of you realizing that, yes, uh, I have a cat. Actually, I have, there are three cats. Um, Hobbs just had his dinner, and so he's, he's rather energetic right now. Well, I think I know what Ward might be for, um, for Red. Hmm. This is just my speculation. And it would fit the color pie. Okay. Sacrifice a, uh, either sacrifice a creature or artifact. An artifact. No, because that's going to be... Because think about it. Fling, no, Fling and Thud are both sacrifice a creature. Yeah. You, but... Uh, I don't... You, you can't... You can't look at something that specific. Typically decks will have creatures. Discard a card. But not always. Maybe discard a card. Maybe, but you have to look at it because everybody has a life total, mm -hmm. so that resource is always available. Everybody has mana. You may not always have the mana to pay it, but everybody has mana available. So you, you have to look at a resource that's unique that everybody would have. Discarding a card would be a good idea. So, but and we'll it, see. And it fits in the red color pie. More or less, yeah. Faithless looting, yeah. all those ones. I mean, red is one of the discard colors. So. Yeah. So that might fit it. It might. We'll see. Yes, we will. Right now, there are no featured decks that really feature the ward mechanic. But I don't think that's necessarily because ward is, is not highly sought after. Uh, it's mostly because there just aren't a lot of cards with ward. And there are even fewer that are legal in standard right now. So... It's really just a lack of a lack of availability. Um, I think honestly, if you had the right idea for for how to make a ward deck or a deck focused around ward, and you had enough, I think ward would be a very popular idea. Just making it more difficult to interact for your opponent to interact with your creatures. But right now, we just don't have the the number of of, of creatures available that would have the ward mechanic. So we're kind of stuck. But we'll see. When it comes to playing with Ward, all right, 
keep in mind that the, the creature has some added protection, so use it to your benefit the best that you can. It, it will be a way to keep your opponent off of your creature for maybe a little while, or at least make them dedicate more resources. So use that protection to your benefit. Since your opponent will have to devote additional resources to eliminating the warding creature, hopefully you can take advantage of the time when the opponent chooses to do this. You know, if they have to sink three life into removing that Sedgemore Witch, maybe you can go ahead and use that to your advantage and, and you know, make a really hard aggressive hit, you know, or somehow drain them of life a little bit faster, you know. Gary. So, again, depending on your, you know, on your format, yeah. You know, well, he's in Theros, but you're you're absolutely right. Ward also only applies to spells your opponents cast, so keep buffing your creature. The harder you make it to remove, uh, you know, the more difficult it is, or the more resources your opponent has to put into removing that creature. So if you can buff it even more, go for it. If you're playing against an opponent who has a creature with ward on the field, remember that you will have to devote additional resources to removing said creature, so time this removal appropriately. If the creature, like if it's Sedgemore Witch, where they're getting pest tokens out on the field and they're draining you of life and they're gaining life and everything, uh, you might want to get rid of that a little bit earlier, so it might be worth the extra resources early on. But if it's something like an Owlin Shield Mage, where you know you can you, you you can deal with a three three flyer or at least you would trade that off if they came in and attacked with it, maybe not worry about it quite so much. But judge it and and make that call appropriately. Ward only exists once the creature is on the battlefield. So keep in mind, counter spells work without any additional cost. Again, pending your format, whether what kind of counter spells you have available, use those appropriately, but ward only exists on the battlefield. It does not work when the creature is just a spell on the stack. Also, ward costs only apply if the creature is targeted. Mass removal spells can eliminate the creature without paying an additional ward cost. All right. So once again, keep that in mind. You have a lot of options available number of, of mass removal or sacrifice cards are available out there, so please keep that in mind. Uh, there are ways to get around ward. You just have to be sometimes a little bit more clever and creative. All right. In in different formats, ward really doesn't appear. The, the ward creatures that we have really, again, you get past standard. Well, really, even in standard, they aren't used that frequently, but you get back you know, further past standard and they just don't show up. Again, frequently the added benefits that any of the creatures might have just aren't worth the drawbacks that have already been established by the archetypes. And unfortunately, <laughs> and unfortunately for us, you know, Pioneer is one thing. It's not an overly popular format right now. The next is like Commander most popular and then Standard is more or less popular thanks to Arena. Then Modern just got a massive shakeup with Modern Horizons 2. So the entire meta for Modern right now is completely in flux. And, and Modern Horizons 2 has really only been available to people right now for a week and a half. So 
seeing any of those ward creatures get in there, everything right now about modern is, is up in the air. So we'll see where that shakes out in the near future. So we've just discussed a lot of information on Hexproof and Ward. Chris, did we leave anything out? I think we covered it all. Fantastic. Our extended reading for this week. The extended reading for this week actually talks about Ward and how the, how the game progressed from Protection to Shroud to Hexproof to Ward. Um, it just gives you a bit of insight. It doesn't, re and, and it talks about why Ward came to be, which I think is extremely important. Because when I first saw Ward spoiled, I was really upset. I did not like it. I didn't think it was all that good, or, as in for the, the the game as a whole. Because I already didn't like Shroud. I didn't particularly like Hexproof because it made the creatures so difficult to interact with. And then they tacked Ward on top of everything. And it just seemed to me to be one other way that they're making the game overpowered or making some of these creatures overpowered. But then when you dig into the rules a little bit more and you you start to understand their progression from Shroud to Hexproof to Ward and what they're trying to do, it actually does make a lot of sense. And actually seeing Ward in action now, it is enough to provide a little bit of protection, but I don't think it goes overboard. So after reading this article and seeing the game in play, it has completely changed my opinion of Ward. Um, and I think it's actually a, a fairly balanced ability at this point. So the article is actually called Introducing Ward. It's by Andrew Brown and Jules Robin, and it was published March 25th, 2021. And again, um, a link to that will be available in the show notes, so you can check that out. This is a nice 10-minute or less read, and it just gives you some good information. All right. Chris, what's our question this week? All right. So the question is actually from one of our listeners. We finally got an email. And their question is, what is meant by power levels of decks? So power levels in general deal with, like, commander decks. And that's just a way, and power levels are relative to your, your normal play groups. It's a way of identifying how your deck plays. Um, there are some decks that are very tuned, efficient, and can be very dominant. Those ones would be your higher power level ones. Um, and then your lower power level ones are like ones that you just build, your play testing, or they're just built around a funny idea it's one of your pet projects stuff like that um and the whole and the reason why power levels is a thing is so that whenever you go to play with different players um it's you can easily ask so what power level is everyone playing and you know they'll respond with what they think it, their deck is so you know what deck you want to play so that you can kind of match it so that it's somewhat fair across the board um, it does typically only be around in Commander, but it can also mat it can also translate into um, like Standard because uh, Friday Night Magic's is starting up, and so there's going to be some people that have higher power level decks. Those ones are the ones that are more a little bit more tuned, a little bit they are they tend to be the more like competitive in the competitive scene and stuff like that um and then there's people like me that just build decks for fun and you know get a stupid idea and 
built something so it's more of a powered down one, but it can still be fun. Um, but it all depends on your play group. All right, so let me take the opposite approach of that, or I guess maybe the devil's advocate side of power levels. Power levels are arbitrary. Uh, power levels are an, an idea that players have constructed in order to try to get... And, and again, Chris is right. You know, They did start really with Commander. Uh, and, and it's a way to try to figure out if the decks are going to be equally matched. Because there is so much variance in Commander. And you're right, some people build theme decks. Maybe this is your deck that is all based off of Lord of the Rings, and each creature in there is representing a different character. And so it's not meant to work well together, it's meant to just be fun, and you're like, you're reenacting the Battle of Palenar Fields or something like that. Alright, and so that would be low on the power scale, whereas someone who's playing a competitive EDH deck is going to be very high on the power scale. Uh, and these ones are highly tuned. They usually have a lot of tutors to find the specific game pieces that they need. And they're to get usually them the worth field. a lot of money. And they are usually worth a lot of money. But th they get those specific pieces out on the field, and then they, boom, they're ready to go off and win the game. But even then, power levels are arbitrary. A lot of people like to use the 1 through 10 scale, but there's a lot of you know conjecture as to what it actually means. And there are a lot of people who have done... Uh, videos on this to talk about power level or, or have, have done podcasts or you know YouTube videos or something there's also the idea of maybe it's a casual or uh, competitive or, or uh, highly competitive you know for high or maybe it's like casual or tuned or competitive uh, you know for, for your your deck power level but even then when you start thinking about power level, it takes a while for you to establish the power level of your deck. You can make some judgments, like, okay, I know I have a deck that works really well together. Um, I have a number of different ways for me to get the same effect or the same outcome. I may not have a lot of tutors that can find specific cards, but I have multiple cards in here that do the same thing, more or less. So I, I have reliability, I have that ability to get this, the, the different cards out that will end in the same result. And so that, you, you may think it's a highly tuned deck, and then you go to play it a couple times, and you realize it doesn't play as well as you might think, or in some cases, it plays really, really well. Let me give you a good example. Our group sat down to play a couple months ago. I pulled out my Obosh the Prey Piercer deck. Now, I had gotten this idea from another person, saw the deck and thought, you know what, sounds like fun, let's put it together. Now, I immediately built this deck thinking, it's going to be average, it's a black-red deck, it doesn't have a lot of mana ramp in it, you know, I'm, I'm going based off of artifact ramp and everything, I don't have a lot of great card draw, I got a lot of targeted removal, but that's really about it. Turns out, that's one of the most oppressive decks I have ever built. And it was able to take down the other three players at the table once it got running. It took me a little while, but it took down the other three players at the table pretty easily. So again, <laughs> power levels are great, but take them with a grain of salt because it doesn't necessarily mean it's accurate. Nor can you necessarily trust that 
everyone else's adjudication of their own deck is accurate. They can be just as off as you are. I remember the first time we sat down to play, I think it was before the M21 pre-release last year. You and I sat down to play a one-on-one Commander game. And it was just you and I playtesting, because we've both gotten into Commander recently. Third person sits down and asks if he could join in. We were just two, two or three turns in, so we said sure. So we're sitting and playing, and of course we're new players, but we both thought we had fairly tuned decks. The guy, the, the third player, drops a Sword of Feast and Famine, and in addition to a land tax, which, if you're not familiar, go check out those cards. Land tax allows him to ramp like crazy, um, and Sword of Feast and Famine essentially gave him protection from both of our decks. Just complete protection, that creature. And so all of a sudden, when we told him we were just playing casual decks, it felt like he came out with swinging with one of his bigger ones, and there wasn't much we could do about it. And didn't he have a the, one of the... Is that the one with the, the Myriad Sword where when an equipped creature attacks, it creates a copy of itself and attacks all the other players? I don't... Because I... Ha- because that happened. It may have been. I, I'm the only bit I specifically remember was land tax was on the field. Power level. It, it is a great concept, but keep in mind it's it's flawed, just like a lot of other of our concepts that we've constructed around this game. So there there are some good ideas to it. Just keep in mind it's it's not foolproof. So. That gives you a lot to know about power level when it comes to decks. And if you have questions or you want some more information on it, uh, please send us an email. We can absolutely refer you to some other videos, some other podcasts that will give you additional information regarding power level. And that might be able to point you in the right direction to help you out even more. Speaking of, Chris, if people would like to send us an email or get in touch with us, how can they do that? All right, so we now have three methods of getting a hold of us. The first one is by email, and you can email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at mtgunderthehood. And, Joe, why don't you tell us about the third one? We are on Facebook. We have been for a little while now. We are on Facebook at MTG Under the Hood. So please check us out, leave comments, uh, send messages, give us suggestions. If there's additional information you would like to know and we're not currently giving you in the podcast, please send us an email. Let us know. If you have questions, let us know. If you have something you'd like us to, uh, a question you'd like us to answer on the air, let us know. All right. And we'll, we'll try to do our best to do that. We're looking for some more information, some feedback from our listeners. All right. With that, thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.